You are listening to Loud and Queer on Sin. We're going to be jumping into another interview now. Contributor Marcy had a chat with playwright and queer theatre maker Joshua Maxwell about their recent play, Very Happy Children with Bright and Wonderful Futures. The name of a play is a callback to Trump's demeaning comments regarding Greta Thunberg during a 2019 UN speech. And the play blends activism with performance inspired by the Black Summer bushfires in 2019 to 2020 and subsequent climate protests. Uh, you can find the play published digitally via PlayLab right now. Uh, I just want to, of course, put out a content warning that uh, this kind of does touch on some of the climate disasters over the last few years. But if you are comfortable listening to the interview, and I highly recommend you do, uh, Marcy has a great chat with Joshua. So let's jump into it. Hello, hello. This is Marcy on Loud and Queer on Sin. Very wonderful guest today, Joshua Maxwell, a a playwright um, working on Danyon Country. They're with us today. Um, yeah. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. Very excited to have you on here today. Very excited to talk about your play um, today. Looking forward to having a chat about this this crazy idea that was in my head for about two years, and now it's a it's a book. It's a it's a play. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just very much very much excited. Like the, the title itself just says a lot already. Like very happy children with bright and wonderful futures, and compared to the content of the play itself, it's like ooh, there's a lot of layers to this. Like, yeah, no, it's um one of those things that the show was originally called um Children at the Coalface, and it was going to be called Coalface Kids, and it was all going to be all about the climate protesters. And um when President Cheeto um from far far abroad tweeted um that Greta Thunberg looks like a very happy young girl with a bright and wonderful future. I went, well, that that is a perfect title for a play. Um, so um, the the young people who are in the production, their group chat was called Trump Tweet, um, which I thought was just hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is, is definitely, like, a one-click origin story for that title right, right, right yeah. there. And, like, in terms of, like, we're excited to talk about the content of the play itself, but like before we talk more about it, we'll speak more on the Australian arts for like climate action campaign and like and how and more about because like it sounds like this 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 story this play was made like inspired by a lot of like real world events. Like we'd love to learn more about how like, it is led into writing the story itself. Yeah, totally. So I um, was very active in getting the the Australian arts community to back. The climate protest i started sort of this thing called oz arts for climate action firstly we started with all of the youth theater bodies because obviously that's where young people were coming from a lot of um um organizations had young people organizing protests across the country so i in the space of about four days got almost every major youth theater body in australia to sign an open letter supporting the climate protesters and basically saying kids get out of school and get on the streets and then a lot of our bodies also went there um, and supported them. So I was in Adelaide on tour at the time and I, yeah, just was sort of incredibly inspired by the young people. And I just went, this would be such a cool setting for a theatre production or sort of um, that. So I started talking to a few other theatre bodies about it and what we could possibly do. And then through the process of 2019 or the time 2019, we we then had the major ones, which were the even bigger ones. That And that's where Oz Arts for Climate Action really took off. And we went from being all of the youth theatre bodies to being theatre bodies from across the country, um, Bell Shakespeare signed, um, Stage Whispers signed, 
uh, Belvoir sign, STC sign. So all of these big arts bodies um, got behind the campaign, which is absolutely fantastic. And behind the scenes, I was working on this show and, you know, other stuff was happening. You know, there was lots of, you know, there was the Kirribilli protest, um, which is where sort of a key moment of the show was inspired by what happened to Izzy Raj Steppings. Sort of against the backdrop of all this, we had the massive bushfires of 2019, the Black Summer Fires. So the show, in my mind, went from being about these climate kids trying to take action about things that might happen to be these kids who are trying to take action while stuff is happening to them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's like a lot to like take in. Speaking of the play itself, tell us a bit more about the play and some of like its theme, story, and yeah. Yeah, totally. So the show is about uh, a young, uh, five young people from a small country town in in the south coast of New South Wales, not based on any particular town. Um, and these five young people decide to stage a school strike for climate action. Um, the only, the only five who turn up, Leela, who is sort of based on one of our young people is kind of the main sort of instigator behind it. And she drags her friend Izzy, who is sort of becomes our main protagonist throughout the show to this protest. And it, basically they get chased away by the local council. The town doesn't really, really care about the climate action protest because there's only five of them. And they end up getting on a train to the city and deciding to go and join the Kirribilli protest outside the prime minister's house. And while there, Izzy ends up being threatened with arrest by, from a police officer. And the media sort of takes hold of that. So she ends up in the middle of this complete media storm and sort of becomes the face of this protest movement, even though she has absolutely no interest in being the face of this protest movement. And then when they come back to their town and they're trying to deal with all of the media outbreak, the black summer fires are starting around them. And so as the show develops, it's more about young people's hopes and fears uh, about the future but then they come to fruition when a quite massive fire completely rips through the town, burns down most of the houses, there's deaths. They have to essentially escape into the literal ocean to get away from the fires. So it's sort of our final moment is just these young people on the beaches going, what next? Like, what could possibly happen? And it's it's sort of inspired by key images and key things that happened during the Black Summer fires. And, you know, it's sort of, I guess it's my way as somebody who, you know, I respond to the world artistically. It's the way I responded to what happened during that time. It's quite an intense play. You know, like you said earlier, the play certainly lulls you into a false sense of security <laughs> with um, its title. And the show is narrated by a four billion year old teenager called Earth. So the Earth and the Moon sort of take you through this sort of journey of these young people and you know look there's lots of theatrical narratives and we even make a joke in the show about you know changing theatrical devices every five seconds but you know seems that a publisher liked it and they've they've put it put it out to this people people to buy I just love like the the theatrical characters seem like earth like they're in and also just like structure of the play in a way is kind of like Okay, a lot is happening here and like the movement is like happening even despite in character resistance against that. You really didn't consent to that in a way. It was kind of like everyone just using them as kind of like this martyr in, in a way. And the, the show sounds like really intense as well as a result and just like how it doesn't seem to pull any punches in terms of like displaying the rule like consequences of denying climate change and the consequences of, of, of that as a, as a result. Yeah, totally. I think um, I really, I guess in my career as working as a youth theatre maker for the last 10 years, it's been, I don't like babying young people on stage. I think that, you know, young people talk about different issues that adults possibly don't want to hear about and they, you know, they swear and they make out and they yell at each other and they have anger and they have genuine concerns. And so all of that is sort of rolled into this show and, you know, the show ends, well, the, one of the, the show was meant to end, I should say, 
on Izzy's final monologue and the final line of the show was meant to be I don't want to die and I've I've sort of evolved the show a bit further from that but in this monologue that I wrote very angry at 3am based after ScoMo did something that you know existed um, I guess is the best way to put it and basically the monologue it says throughout the show, you know, I'm not going to swear on your podcast because that would be a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but it goes through this, it's quite explicit. And this young person just completely breaks down in front of the media and goes, you have no idea what it's like to be a young person, have absolutely no power when you can see there's things wrong. So yeah, we really, and look, we do, we also did a lot of interviews with young people. So I, part of my research for the show is I spoke to a lot of climate protesters and a lot of young people who weren't even politically minded just about how they felt about things that were going on so a lot of that's sort of built into the show as well as a young person like in in today's society it's like oh my gosh climate change is happening it's like happening right in front of us and yet a lot of people who have the power to do something don't really seem to be doing anything about it it's just very exhausting very frustrating to like try to do anything in in society today and like i've been involved in like protests and like just it's exhausting just to be actively vocalizing that this is a scary issue that is here right now and people like we don't want to die i mean like is he like final line that like you don't want to die it's very very powerful yeah and i think you talked about the you know feeling powerless there's a line in the show that Izzy says that you know that the people in power or the people with the power do nothing because it's too risky for their own political futures you often have people who you know they'll speak out against something and then they'll backtrack in five minutes because they've been told by somebody above them they shouldn't and it's so yeah it's it's one of those things where you know there's a lot of my own emotions a lot of the young people's emotions in this show there is a there is a part of me that goes did I just strap a whole bunch of audience members into a theater just so I could rant at them politically for an hour probably um but that's okay (laughs) we try not to sort of cherry coat it and we try to also make it you know also realistic as well like young people are imperfect their intentions don't come off things don't go the way they expect them to you know Leela expects that she's going to be able to change the world overnight Izzy is forced into that position and then you've got all these other characters who are with them you've got Hunter who's the reluctant best friend with the hardcore right-wing father and you've got Annie who's the the army brat who lives with her grandparents on a farm and you know while she believes it her grandparents were heavily involved in the in the movement there's nothing she can do and then you've got Jace, who's the non-binary young person living in a in a small country town where, you know, the only group of friends that accepts them is this, this group of friends. And suddenly, suddenly they are in the spotlight too. So, yeah, there's a lot. Look, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I'm just, just happy it's sort of out of my head now. So it's, it exists on paper now and doesn't have to keep rattling around in my head for a while. Very, very, very much so. And I can see there's a lot of, like, all like characters in your play and, like, having a lot of like central characters in different parts of the world like really drives home how global the climate justice movement is but did you find anything challenging about writing a story laid out in, in this way for me the most challenging thing was getting the youth voice right while i've only just stopped being a young person as far as the government's concerned just you know their funding models you know i was writing a show about 14 15 16 year olds so you know getting that voice right and also doing things in a way that didn't feel too preachy. I understand that some of the reasons that people turn away from the youth climate movement is they just feel like young people know nothing and they, they're they getting preachy with what they're doing or they're, they're brainwashed. So trying to find a way that it feels authentic and it doesn't feel like, you know, a, a one-hour political science and astrophysics and climateology monologue um, was, it was important. I guess the other thing was the most chaotic was the fact that this show was created in the middle of COVID. 
So the show was sort of a, co- a, co- a collaboration between us and South Australian Youth Arts. And it was just like it, we were meant to do a lot more collaborative stuff. And, you know, we had to do it all on Zoom. Rehearsals were held. When I decided to write a show about the bushfires, I thought that would be the big news story of 2020. Turns out I was extremely wrong and that I'd have to end up creating this theatre project through all of that. Then the most insane thing happened. So the, the show was delayed because of the bushfires. The show was then delayed because of COVID. And on opening night, we had a the fifth once in a decade or once in 100 year storm in our region and our theatre flooded. So like it's just one of those things you just like, can anything else happen? Like could, you know, you know, is a tree going to fall through the theatre? Who knows? <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that sounds like a very tumultuous production period. Yeah. 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 Like a lot of like unforeseen challenges that really affected like the the play like its development yeah totally like it was one of those things you just kind of went you know when it finally opened in march last year i kind of went well it's open now so we got there you know it took 18 months <laughs> i i'm just like trying to like visualize that because like i myself have experienced many like being many involved in many plays where we, between a lot of like natural disasters and covid it's like the production periods just become very unpredictable and sometimes plays get put online outright cancelled postponed it's a lot of chaos. Um, so I'm glad this play is finally it, it's happening, um, despite all these these chaotic periods. Yeah, no, it was one of those things that um yeah, it was and then I guess on top of that, when the show the show closed in March last year, and we're still working on future future touring versions of the show and the show's pub, the, the, the big thing about what's happening now is obviously the publishing and being available for the public and the theatre community to read is the day that I got sent the proof copy of the script, um, you know, with all of the text formatting. And so I was happy and could sign it off. I had a heart attack. So, um, you know, just just casual heart attack. You know, it's like, oh, is this show cursed? No. <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was one of those experiences, but, you know, we, we got to learn a lot from it, which was great. In regards to the character, the main character, like going back to Izzy, yeah, sure. he's like art. Oh, it's very, very inspired by the real life act by climate activists of the same name. Um, are you able to tell us about the sense of responsibility that comes from telling a story with clear ties to someone real? Yeah, totally. That's a really interesting thing. And I think um, it's not just Izzy, it's Leela as well. Leela is also based on, a, it's based on a real person. So Leela and Izzy are actually really good friends in real life. And we... We used Izzy as a bit of an inspiration for the main character. And what's really interesting is I'd actually named the lead character Izzy before the I what happened to her even happened to her. So Izzy was the lead character's name back in 2018. So I sort of, I, I said to her once, I feel like I sort of summoned this thing that happened to her. And so we were really clear with her and her family that we would make it, you know, in the program and on the script it says, the, you know, while there's references to real people no one is a true depiction of a true thing like they're all amalgamations of and there's things that happen in the play that are amalgamations of things that happen so you know izzy is not the only real resemblance is the red bandana and the fact that she plays a ukulele and you know the fact she's a 13 year old who end up in the face of this protest so we were really clear like so there's a bit of verbatim so the actual what the police officers actually said to her is actually verbatim text so that all that all did actually happen um and then we were really clear to make sure that that was the only clear reference beyond that it was we we referenced her real life back a few times like the stuff with andrew bolt and um all of that sort of stuff but yeah it, it is it is a, it's a fine line when you're working with people who could be based on a real or are based on a real person or inspired by i guess so yeah you know making sure the audiences really know that that's 
you know, it's, we're not, you know, Izzy doesn't live in a small town. Her house didn't burn down, you know, and that was actually in, in a rumor that happened to her. So there was, you know, when Izzy, um, all that stuff happened to her outside of Kirribilli. Um, there was a rumour that went around saying her house had burnt down and that she was already a victim of the fires. And it's like, no, actually, that's that's not at all what happened. She lives she lives in the northern beaches. Like she's she's a she's a city kid. But yeah, so it's just you know making sure you're while you're you know massaging the um, the narrative that making it clear to the the wider public that this is a, an imagined story and it's an imagined world. It's just inspired by those real events. And you know, there's things in in the there's like I said earlier, there's things in the play that are inspired by other things that happened during, not just these fires, but also fires over the last twenty years. Like the I won't give the plot away, but what happened to Annie's grandparents in the show is based on a real couple that lived during the. Black Saturday flyers. So there's things like that. As sort of, you know, I've sort of worked in that any Australian was a, it will be, you know, although I don't really like that term, but um, is will know the experience of the fires because we all lived through that the horrendous time. But you know, there'll be a lot of people who identify more, I guess. Yeah, very, very much so. And it's good to see, like in the play Ryan, like period that like you've been very like respectful about like um, connections to real people and their and their stories and that seem to be shining very brightly through um, the play and trenches. We, you know, it's like any of those TV shows you say, you know, it says inspired by true events. That's kind of the best way to put it. It's inspired by, it's not directly, you know, there's no, you know, this is exactly what happened type thing. Like the town, even like the setting of the town, in our, in our version it's called Fairweather, but the, anyone who puts the show on can change the name of the town. You know, it could be based on any of those towns that were forced into the ocean when the fire hit their town, but it's not any particular town it's just it is a small town that the narrator of earth says um you know it's there's one road in one road out and that's going to become really relevant later you know and we had so many of those towns during the black Saturday fires that you know we didn't we couldn't get in contact with you know we didn't know how cabago or malacotta was because we we no one could contact them they'd lost all phone service so yeah we the you know lots and lots of layers of things we've we've woven in to make this sort of big tapestry of a show that's a terrible analogy, but I'll go with it. Victory <laughs> is definitely like fun, like a visual sense, like yeah. Um, also a bit graphic at the same time. Um, I just feel like though I should be like wearing a maiden's outfit in the eighteen hundreds. Citizen art does have a very long history, but sometimes people prefer when messages deemed political are more subvert. Why do you choose to use real events and social movements so overtly in your writing? For me, I write what I know. And I think that's a bit, you know, that's, the, you know, there's that really, it's almost become cliche when authors say, you just write what you know. It's like, for me, I grew up in a political family. So I have two mums. I was very out and proud about that. The fact that I had two mums, I was nine when my mother came out. So I grew up in a world that was like very political. So political activism is kind of second nature to me. Like my, it's nothing for me to just shout someone down over an issue or for me to pick up a pen and write an open letter and you know various things particularly around queer issues or youth issues um, or regional issues but so the, when I started getting really I guess active in the climate debate and stuff it was sort of a natural thing that I was going to be writing about that also I think that youth theatre is inherently about topical issues it's inherently about what young people want to talk about and yeah you know we occasionally do a show that's about kids being superheroes but most of our theater works and our most impactful theater works are actually shows that have grit and meaning and weight behind them so you know for example obviously this show 
we also did a show the year before in a, about Aboriginal deaths in custody. We had some Aboriginal graduates from dance company come and work with us and create it with our young Indigenous people. And we did a show about the Me Too movement, it's an effect on young people. We've done heaps of those shows and they're, they're often our most impactful because they're about things that are happening now and issues that need to be dealt with now and how young people are feeling now. So I think that's probably the the best way of doing it yes, most definitely a show like like land clear like we have a big focus on like political issues like like terms of like how that impacts on the, on the queer community so hearing hearing you talk about the importance of like being topical and being political and particularly in terms of like writing it's it's music to my ears um yeah yeah look i think for us like japuka is always was inherently going to end up being a, a major queer youth theater coming i mean of our of our young people we i think 60 percent of our young people identify as queer even if they don't identify they don't invite to us if they don't identify at home so we've you know we've been to mardi gras twice we've put on dean brian's gabies three times we degender roles we kind of go is there any reason why that role has to be a cis white man no okay great then it's open for everybody so you know we really strive to make sure that young people are represented and stuff because again you know it's run by me a gender fluid artistic blob of glitter that i am and my mum who's queer half our board is queer and then all of our young people like one of our we we literally have a a trans performer named Lucas, he wrote a song for our production of Gabe is called Closet House and we formed it at Mardi Gras twice now. We've performed it at Google. Like, so yeah, it's um, giving young people safe spaces has always been the uh, my goal. And of course that then feeds into the kind of content you're creating because those young people have different lives and different worldviews and we can help them use their voices to tell those stories. Yes, very, very well said. And coming from um, someone who, my, my, my journey in terms of like, as like non-binary and being very much like trans, like trying to be very vocal about that. And so it's a, it's a, it's a challenge at times, but like um, through, through your playwriting, through like work, it's very impactful. And we here at Loud and Queer are very, very glad that you're, you're, that you've worked on this play and that you've reached out to a, to a lot of like people in the queer community about, about this. Yeah, no, well, thank you. I think it's, you know, it's important. It's just sort of feeds into the work we do, you know, and even like, I guess there's a sort of a development element for the show. Like when I first wrote the show, the character of Jace, which is uses they, them pronouns in the show now, when I originally wrote the character, I that wasn't actually the intention. Um, I, because again, I guess for me, it was about any role could be any. And I, I, I say that in the front of the script. So any production who wants to like literally do what you like, the genders, I don't care. So Jace sort of became sort of a resemblance of me in the production we didn't actually cast non-binary people because again when we first wrote the role it wasn't and but then as the show developed and I was working in the room I was going actually I'm kind of noticing now that Jace is more non-binary and like when I wrote the show I actually wasn't out like I, I'd always used the term queer because I feel like it was just the best way to describe my bizarre self um to the, the, the to the world i've also always fought the fact that i believe gabies or the you know the children of um gay couples are as much part of the community as their parents because they're subjected to the same discrimination that we all are and you know i can tell you horrendous stories of you know growing up in the two, early 2000s during the howard era about having two mums in a regional town not fun um so you know i was always a big believer in that but you know it, i've only recently actually out come out well i guess uh, was, we were saying before we went, to, we went to air i didn't actually decide to come out this abc decided to out me they had a very good researcher or someone who just had made a really lucky guess in the abc broadcast they were they i was interviewed as part of mardi gras when our float 
went through and um, I saw on Casey Donovan's card it said Joshua Maxwell they them and I went oh I'm going to assume that's going to be a title card on the screen and by that point I think maybe eight people knew that I was was gender diverse my parents didn't know I never had felt the need to tell them and my sister had recently just come out as bisexual I was like well I guess I'm about to outdo her coming out yeah so you know um that happened and that was sort of linked to theater and I kind of just went well it's there now I'll just sort of embrace it you know not something I'd intended to have the discussions about but for me and also not because it's a bad thing any and anything it was just for me I grew up in the queer community with queer parents with lots of queer people around me most of them didn't have coming outs. They just were who they were. So I never felt the need to come out. There was no need for me to tell anyone. It's just those who knew knew and those who didn't didn't need to know. So, yeah, that's a little fun fun little tidbit about my backstory and my, my identity and I guess my growth and development sort of while this was all going on. I think for me it was when it happened, because this has only happened in March, so this is this is a very new thing. It was after the fact that I thought if someone at ABC or the, the, the producer of the broadcast had have asked me, I probably would have just said, hey, just put they, he, or they, them anyway, and just gone with it. It was just the sort of the, the sort of the sudden realisation of going, well, I'm out. That's Band-Aids off. You know, the closet door's wide open and there's lots of glitter pouring out of it. So it was, you know, it's an interesting experience. And then I kind of went, well, I have lived a public life since the age of nine. I am, I've been out and proud as a queer person for a long time. Labelling it was the new, th- was the was the sort of the, the new thing. Someone had put it on it. And I guess, you know, people had started to ask questions the last year or so, because like in theatre, you always go around the circle and you're like, I'm this person, these are my pronouns, especially with young youth theatre now. And you, you say an interesting fact. And I would always just say, my name's Josh Maxwell, I'm your director or whatever I was. I think Jen is a myth. My fun fact is this, on we went. And you'd see all the queer kids around the room go, oh, interesting, hang on, that's 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 different. That's not the response we're expecting. So for me, it was a, an interesting development. And I guess, you know, if you're going to come out unexpectedly, do it on national television. What else, could, what better way could you do it? Very, very much like truth there. Yeah. Going, going back to your play, it's, sure. it's very, it's fair to say climate change quite an impact on the writing and the production of the play itself. If you're comfortable doing so, would you be able to tell us more about that and how it's and then produce your art and story you had in mind? Yeah, totally. I think, so I guess, the, you know, climate change was, it was, you know, we, we run surveys every year when we're picking themes for the new writers to sort of create and climate change came up so regularly and we went, when we do this, we want to do it right. So I knew I wanted to write. I hadn't written for the company in a couple of years. And I was like, okay, it's probably time. And I had, I sort of had this idea, like I said earlier about at the protest about these, these five kids at a protest and they get lost and yada, yada, yada. And as things developed and grew and I did a road trip in for Christmas in 2019 and we drove from the central coast um, from dark young country through to Ghana country in, in South Australia that was during the the peak of the summer fire the, the black summer fires and here I was going on a family holiday to see the rest of my family for Christmas it was all joyful and everywhere we were going was on fire there was bushfires everywhere and then we were driving back New Year's Eve and we were seeing these images coming out of Malakota of, you know, kids on boats and people in the ocean and people on the beaches and people on bridges to try and outrun the fire. And I'm just like, here I am having a holiday. I mean, yeah, we've been dealing with the smoke for, for, for weeks, if not months. 
And here I am on my way back from a holiday to go to Sydney New Year's Eve to watch fireworks. Like, how does that work out? So I ended up going home and I started like adapting the show and I was sending messages to my production team going, I think I'm about to do a massive overhaul of the show. Pre-warning, there'll be a new script in a few weeks. Um, and there was, there was a massive change and it sort of went from being, you know, where this show was going to be a verbatim-y type play about you know, climate kids, it turns into this narrative-driven play about this these group of climate kids who get stuck in the middle of climate change. And this is, you know, this is what's happening. You know, this is climate change. When I was a young person, it was, you know, it was greenhouse gases and it was, you know, the global warming and it was, you know, the language changes, but it was, it was a thing in the future. We were talking, you know, our teachers would teach us a climate change will happen or global warming is a thing, but it won't affect your young people. It won't happen for hundreds of years. You know, it won't, it won't be a thing. And now here we are, a 30, I'm a 30-year-old who runs a youth theatre company watching, you know, our young people have to evacuate their homes because they're flooding every three weeks or watching young people lose their houses in fire or having, you know, our brothers and sisters over in First Nations communities all across the Pacific having to face the fact their islands are sinking. And, yeah, it's just one of those things that, you know, this is, I can't do much myself because of you know my location my identity you know i use the i use the bits of privilege i get through storytelling to try and make an impact i think it's you know that's the most important thing it's you know helping tell young stories and hoping you know i don't know maybe a whole bunch of schools will pick the show up and all of those right-wing dads who you know, listen to Andrew Bolt or Ben Fordham or any of those other ridiculous people on the radio who don't believe in this and they'll change their mind. You know, even the, in the story, like Hunter's dad, he he has a realisation. He, you know, he talks to his son. Well, he, he, Hunter relays a story where he says that, you know, dad last week was all loony lefties, but now he's different. He's changed. He's lost his home. So there's a, there's a hot, you know, a part of me, a very cynical part of me, a very egotistical part of me hopes, you know, I'll change the world through this play. But all I know, I know that I'll be satisfied if I can make a small impact. And we like we end the show on there's an easy final monologue. She talks about, you know, it's not going to be individual changes. It'll be all of us working together to make gradual shifts to hopefully affect change. Because although if you listen to the, the I guess, the, the depressing news, if you listen to the scientists right now, we possibly have run out of time. So let's just um, do what we can to turn things back around, I guess. Very valid right there. And sad in terms of like just how much like climate change in a way has disrupted the production process and how many like things you had to adapt in order to get this play like finally like published. But like Mm. I am nevertheless glad that, like, it is finally able to be, be released and that um, there'll be a group, some people that are able to, like, make this, like, really happen. And I'm just very excited as to what the future holds in regards to that. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad as well. And I'm glad people are responding the right way to the release and um, the story. And I think it's just, you know, fascinating that, you know, kind of it's that, you know, I have the book now and I just kind of go, there is so much of me in this. There is so much history behind like I could write another play about the creation of the play type thing I could the stories you could tell are just insane and you know you just kind of go the fact the show about climate change had two performances cancelled because of literal climate change is just insane like the level of things that we had to go through was you know just was just crazy very very valid just still thinking of like like how the floods like impacted that 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 performance period as well it's really unreal but, um very much real yeah. at the same time 
Yeah, it was just one of the things. We walked into the office on opening night, and I was like, "Why is the floor wet?" And I realized that it was we were flooded. I went, "Cool, that's that's normal for you know an area near." I mean, we were yeah, we were near a flood zone, but like not where we were. Like this is the thing. It's you know, and even when this the day the scripts were delivered to my house, it was in the middle of those incredible rain periods a few weeks ago or probably six weeks ago when you know the northern rivers were flooding and Ballina was underwater and Lismore was underwater it was like and you know we were it rained for five days and we had to quickly race the scripts in it's just because again it had rain it was raining heavier than it has ever rained in decades in an area where that's normally humid yeah but it's it's just yeah it's one of those things you just kind of go it's all happening so fast and you know there's all that that weird existential dread I have going you know I'm an artist living in the middle of what is essentially a mini apocalypse you know what value does I what I do have but I realize it's it's the value for it's a distract it's a distraction um it's a it's a way of releasing it's a way of vocalizing and rationalizing or discussing within a in a, in a safe setting what's going on very much so and that kind of leads on to my next and my last questions sure. um what is the impact or action you hope this play can inspire in audiences? Yeah, that's a really awesome question. I guess for me, I, I really hope that the production wasn't just a flashpoint. It wasn't just this thing that existed in our theatre in our time. I hope that it's one of those things that young people get to do for the next decade. And I say, I say at the very top of the script, I have a very egotistical, like, dedication at the top of the script, and I, I dedicate it to my nibblings, and I'm like, I hope the themes of this play become a thing of the past the concerns of this play becoming a thing of the past so i hope that you know it can add to the the ongoing i hate to call it a debate because a debate you know indicates there's there's more than one opinion the ongoing crisis that if it is climate change that it can add things in a way that it's artistic and people can work with it and that young people can feel represented and young people can feel seen and heard in this work I guess, you know, that's my main thing is that that's hopefully where we are. Yes. Like, I'm hoping that um, listeners are, like, everyone who's who will be listening to this, in- this interview in, well, I hope to the very near future, be able to take that message on board and really, like, understand the, the real crisis as climate change and understand the importance of, of, of your play. Yeah, no, that's what I hope as well. And I think it's a... You know, hopefully it's a other, you know, major theatre bodies pick it up or just young people get to read it and feel seen and it can help inspire more young people to get more active. You know, we've got young people who are involved in the show who had never been to a climate protest and then have been to tons since. So hopefully it inspires more action. And, you know, look, I'm I'm one of those loony lefties who believe that, you know, the minute you pay taxes, you should be able to vote. You know, so I hope that young people one day get to vote and, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it's a way that we can make change and make things happen in the for the betterment of not just us and the next generation, but the generations to come. And also allowing, I guess, the world to exist for the generations to come is probably an important one too. Yes, very, very much so. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on to Land Queer today and for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Yeah. Where can people keep up with you online and find the digital tree? published version yeah totally that's my brain's like oh that's right i'm here to sell a show um uh, so um i'm just on social media as joshua maxwell on facebook the josh maxwell on instagram and twitter because you know 
I have to be official and weird and wanky. Um, and uh, if you want to read the play, you can um, buy a copy at uh, uh, playlab.com.au. Um, or I believe it's going to be very soon available on Australian Players Transform, which is sort of the sort of the national hub. Um, and if you really, really want to, you can go to the National Library in Canberra and borrow their one copy. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's lots of different ways. And if you're interested, if you're a youth organisation or a school or a production company out there who wants to get in touch with me about the production rights, you can just contact me by my website, which is just joshuamaxwell.com.au. That sounds very exciting. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of like people like uh, going to your socials and your website to, to look at your play and potentially some theatre groups that, want, that might want to put on stage in the near future. Absolutely. Where um, One of the things I'm trying to do is so it's actually available for, for free licence for schools and youth theatre groups for the next two years. So if anyone wants to do it and they're looking for a show that's easy to put on and doesn't cost anything, then I'm your person. There you have a very, very exciting news for students and young people everywhere. Well, that's all the time we have for this interview. Um, thank you all uh, for listening. And this has been me, Marcy, on Land Queer on Sin with Joshua Maxwell. If any of that interview was distressing to you, uh, please don't hesitate to contact Lifeline at 131114, Kids Helpline at 1-800-55-1800, QLife at 1-800-184-527, or online at Rainbow Door at 1-800-729-365, or online at rainbowdoor.org.au. Uh, but also be sure to check out the digitally published version of that play at Playlab right now. <laughs>